Broadcasting live from sunny South Florida, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. Your KMA crew, the Italian scallion, Paul DeGracco, Alex Tavella, a.k.a. The Goat, and always telling it like it is, Honest Abe. I like to smoke them like the Winston Churchill. Good morning to all our loyal listeners, libertarians, and lovers of the leaf. I'm your host, Honest Abe, for this morning's episode of KMA Talk Radio, episode number 420, broadcasting live from sunny South Florida, along with my cohorts, as always, the trusty Italian scallion, Paul DeGracco, and none other than the man himself, the man known as the GOAT, Alex Tavella. Gentlemen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning on this fine Saturday morning. Morning. So, Paul, you broke ground at your house, I see. Actually, technically, they broke ground before we even bid on it, because that's how they do things in the COVID wor- in the post-COVID world. So they, they don't start in these new communities. They don't start building houses until they can secure all of the concrete block and lumber that they need to build the structure because apparently it's hard to get at decent prices or hard to get at all. So they have everything that they need for the house warehoused before they start building it now. So they, they broke ground, they poured the foundation this week, which is a big deal, but they, it the house was all framed out. All the, all the, the permitting was done before I even bid on the lot. So let me, let me just understand something. You haven't closed on this property. We don't close. So the way that these builders work, I'm just you don't close on the property. Yeah, you don't close on the property until it's finished being built. Because it's not like a I, I didn't buy the land and then have somebody build it. It's a it's a pre a pre designed community. I, so, I've put a lot of money down. Oh, so you put a down payment? Yeah, I think we had to. I think we ended up putting like six percent or something like that. Whatever down you put a house. down payment. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I, I was saying, like, did you just post pictures of a house you don't own yet? <laughs> no, we. It, as long as we, uh, as long as we close, it's it's ours. But yeah, we, I mean, we're going to close because you lose your deposit if you don't close. <laughs> so, so yeah, what, it's it's our house. What's the timeline on the house? You know, they say uh, September thirtieth. They say we'll go to closing. When but, September thirtieth? So you'll be in by by. You won't, you won't be in this year. Yeah, you'll be in. Well, the only reason why I think we will be in before Christmas is because their fiscal year closes November 1st. And I was told that none of the outside contractors get their bonus for finishing the property within the fiscal year if they don't finish the property by November 1st. But all the the, according to people that I've spoken to that built houses before, the really long, lengthy part is the permitting, the, the, um, I, don't, I forget what you call it when they source the land and figure out where it's going to be placed. Inspections. Inspect. Yeah. So that that part is done, but now they they poured the foundation. So then there's an inspection for that. Then they put the concrete block up. Then there's an inspection for there's that. There's inspection That's for electrical. There's electrical. There's I mean. Yeah. Well, should be. And those are. 
those are very delayed right now, obviously, uh, even though things oh, are know. starting to, to open up. Yeah, yeah I'm know. sure you do. We know. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I, I'm hopeful that we'll be in there by Christmas. That's my realistic timeline. We know people that have been in by their estimated build finish date. But then some people were like, ah, the, I didn't like the way the tiles were laid on the roof. So we don't go to closing until they fix it. Stuff like that. Like there's certain things that you might notice, like molding is crooked or the cabinet isn't placed properly or something like that. But it just so happened to work out, which I think they did on purpose, because a year and a half ago, we looked at these houses and we picked all our finishings. And the two lots that they presented us with that they would build this house on both had all the finishings that my wife picked. <laughs> so I was like, huh unless they're the most popular finishings and upgrades or they did that for both of these houses and they knew we would buy one of them. I don't know. I mean, I know I'm a small fish to them, but I was like, this is kind of weird that this is everything that she wanted. Cause now you don't really get to customize as much as you, as you would before. Cause it, it's based on what they can get. I wonder if these guys, like how long ago did you like price and, what not of the house i'm just curious i'm wondering because i know like lumber's through the roof right now i the, wonder the if price these guys is, are taking a bath on material nope because we didn't put any money down a year and a half two years not ago you i'm talking about so, contractors and i mean the, the price of lumber's astronomical right now i mean not to talk numbers but the house the house was a uh, big shot when i say right, significantly does, does, no no no. i'm not saying how much me. we paid for it the difference in price is is over a hundred thousand dollars more than when we looked at it too. I know ago. what he's saying. The is same exact house. Guys who bid, but, yeah, he's not listening. Right, the guys do on the cost of lumber, and now they're building houses at lumber is probably double the price or or more. They're getting socked out because what? Oh, oh, oh. He's an aristocrat. I have no time for the peons. Let them work. Let them eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, what happens and is not too uncommon in situations like this. Guys go under. Right. And they go under in the middle of a job. Right, that they already put right. on. They're kind of stuck. Let them eat cake. I, have no word. I, I do not care about the peons. I, that's not what I'm saying. That is what you No. I don't care about them. I'm just assuming that they're that they're paying, that, that we're paying all this extra money because of the cost of goods as well. I mean, the market here in South Florida is insane. Everybody, There's more people moving to South Florida now than, than did in the 80s. I, mean, I read a, a study. I heard about an ad being run in Texas and I love it because, you know, with, with everybody now like Exodus, you know, you know, having the Exodus out of like these, you know, New York, New Jersey, California, right. pretty much Texas, Arizona, and Florida, right? Texas is the largest, I think. It's good for business, bad for politics, but it's really funny is Texas has this ad campaign going on. I heard right now on their TVs, like welcome to Texas, but we hope you remember why you came here. <laughs> I think it's awesome. That is, it's funny because you know they're leaving their states because of the disarray, and then they, right. you know, their ideology is kind of what led to the disarray, and then they're coming here with their same ideologies, thinking like, oh, it's going to be different. Well, I mean, the, if they're moving to Palm Beach County, they're going to be sorely mistaken on the politics side of things. <laughs> this is the this is the little blue dot in the middle of all of Florida. Yeah, yeah but it, it doesn't. That's where they're coming from, blue states, right. Paul. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, but I'm saying the te people in Texas that are trying to get away from the Californians that are moving there, especially in the Houston area. Yeah, but that's 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 little, what I've this heard. This little blue dot doesn't really affect the overall realm. Not of, of the state. state. Not of the state. state. No, it doesn't. Fortunately, it doesn't. you're right. Shout but they usually exclude us from things. 
but they but if you remember during the whole pandemic desantis would say you know the the whole state is doing this except palm beach, palm beach right <laughs> literally <laughs> except well, for little new york while i was gone i guess I, we heard now because uh, you know desantis removed the mask laws and then uh, the 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 county the the school district basically said kids will be going to school in masks and i guess while i was gone that that changed. I, I came back home and I heard the kids will not be wearing masks. It school. changed because the CDC changed their recommendation. I think yesterday or the day before. Yeah. So yes, Florida sir. was ahead of the curve as far as saying no masks. But all wrong. Uh, but uh, and now actually starting today in Disney World, I believe you don't have to wear a mask outside at all. Oh, well, that just so, makes common sense. So you know, thanks. My my birthday's coming up. Back on board Maybe with we'll common sense, it. people. I, I mean, listen, it was just, it's, it's really crazy because you're watching all these rules and they're telling you like, you know, I got like a Gustavo on one of my flights yesterday coming back and like before the plane took off, she, listen, man, I got a big head. So you know, <laughs> when I'm talking to my wife and my chin is moving, the mask just keeps sliding down my face naturally. And this, yes, woman, yes. this woman attendant kept freaking out because my mask wasn't above my nose line. Like literally a third time. I was aware I was afraid she was gonna call the air marshal on me like one more time. Like she had that look like one more time and you're out of here. Oh no. And, and um That would have been a great story though if you got But it's just so plane. dumb because you take your mask down while you eat and drink and then put it back up. So I, I just I just like took a drink and was like sipping it as long as I could. Did they, did they serve alcohol on the flight? No. Well, you know, no, I didn't see anybody drinking. I, I kind of was alcoholed out by the time I was coming home. <laughs> so I really wasn't in the mood for alcohol, but um, I didn't see anybody drinking. There's no alcohol. There's no real meal service. There's all these pre-wrapped Ziploc bags with a sanitized napkin. And, you know, it's like, um, but I mean, I just don't get it because the mask, okay, but then I can have the mask off for like an hour if I'm sipping a drink. That's it's not like you're sitting further. You're moving your space. If you're going to make him wear masks, then don't feed him and don't let him drink. Right, Otherwise, right. it makes no sense. I don't know if I told this story, but I was I was out to dinner with my son somewhere. We were, we were with a bunch of friends. We were at a sports bar, sports barish type place. No, and, Jeff, sorry, Jeff, they did have other drinks because they had sodas and whatnot. It wasn't only water. But go ahead. Uh, fuck my story. Um <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, you know, you have, we were sitting in the booth and there's high tops and this and that. The same thing. If you get up, you have to wear a mask. If you're sitting down, you don't have to wear a mask. Um, but I'm, I stand up because I, I stand up. It's easier for me to move over and, and cut my son's food for him. So I'm standing up and one of the waitress walks by and tells me, oh, hey, no. hey, you got to put your mask on. And I looked at her. I'm like, I said to her, I said, lady, I'm five foot six standing up. I'm literally the same height as the people sitting down at the high top what is the fucking right. difference <laughs> no look, yeah, it's not like i'm moving closer to them right. standing next to them or... and so that, you know i know dan made a comment there listen I, I don't got a problem if you want to wear a mask i don't got a problem if everybody wants to wear a mask it just it makes no sense and that that's a statement i mean if, if you're gonna put people on a plane and make them mask up but then say everybody can take them off when they eat and drink then you're not really achieving anything so right. Just let's let's not have the bullshit about it, you know. And now we're getting to the point where pretty much, like in Vegas, like everybody's vaccinated. Like I mean, like yeah. they vaccinated like everybody in Vegas. So if you're afraid, go get vaccinated. Wear a mask. 
and you'll be fine. You're protected, supposedly, you know. But you know, I, I don't know why they're going to freak out if people don't wear masks because that's, you know, if you get, I'll be wearing a mask where it makes common sense. Of course you will, Coop. Where does it make common sense? Wait till, wait till he gets on. Wait till he gets on. We're going to wear yeah, we'll, we'll talk to him when he comes out. I'm him. just perfect. I haven't seen one situation, uh, to, to, to credit you, where it makes made sense to wear the mask. For a fully vaccinated person to wear a mask, I want to see where that makes common well, sense. Well, so now, that's a that's a question, because we have a friend that's a doctor, oh. and he said, he said technically... Technically, you could still get the mask. If I mean, get the get the virus if you're fully vaccinated. But you're fully vaccinated, really, to get back to normal life. So if you get it, your right. body will I'm have get at least some antibodies. I'm gonna get a little sick. Right. I'm gonna get a cold. Exactly. I can still get the flu. I can still get pneumonia. I can still. It's okay. You know. He, he said the hope is the hope is that you have enough antibodies where it's like having a, a bad cold. That's that's the idea behind this this type of vaccination. No, but, but I like the fact that someone was telling me they said now if you're vaccinated or somewhere that you don't have to wear a mask. Who's checking this? Right? Who, How do you, well, and did you see the cards? They're, you can I can print them on a dot matrix printer. I, I know. It's ridiculous. But but even there, who's really going to stop and say, "Hey, have you been vaccinated?" Yeah, here's my card. I mean, who's doing that? And there's no there's no central database there's if no they want to use right. that. Right. Oh. So I I don't understand how anybody could ever enforce that. I think it's can. a little crazy too, honestly. If they if they did, but. Uh, you know, it is what it is. If you want to be protected and you want to get vaccinated, great. If you don't, you have that right as well. That's that's perfectly fine. I don't I don't judge. I didn't want to get vaccinated, uh, but it happened. You know, me. let me tell you something. I, I keep I keep a bottle of just you know the the alcohol and and when I'm in public areas or high traffic areas or like elevators, I'm touching buttons with my hands. I, I just try to keep keep my hands clean, right? I did that anyway. I, 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 well, I didn't do it before, but I've been doing it since COVID. But, but here's my thing. My biggest fear is continually touching my mask, taking it on and off, or moving right. it to eat, or moving it to talk. The mask keeps giving me a reason to keep touching my face all day. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I just don't know how, you know. Listen, hopefully hopefully, everybody, hopefully, in another couple of months, everybody who wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. Look. Yeah. And look, I, I see it. If you don't want to be vaccinated, it's the equivalent of like the state of Florida not needing a helmet to ride a motorcycle. Right. There's no law. You're allowed to risk your life and ride a motorcycle. Well, no, there is a law now in Florida, I believe. Right? Or no, no. it's still not. No, no, no. Oh, they were trying. Okay. Yeah, it's a little. I, I, don't, know. I don't mind like seeing people going around the block without a helmet, but then when they're on like 95, doing 85 miles an hour without a helmet, I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. It makes me feel weird. Looks it like is. freedom to me. It's his life. Looks like freedom. I mean, it's fine. You're right. It's, it's his, his life. It's his right. But yeah. wait, let me go back to the touching in, the mask thing. Just California, briefly. In California, it. they're perfectly happy with everybody shooting themselves up with drugs and, you know, providing. And, 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 you know, that's what they, that's how they want to spend their time on earth. God bless them. I mean, I think seatbelt laws are bullshit. Personally. So. So you were talking about not touching the mask. One of the guys I used to work for, entrepreneurial guy, his father was a pharmacist his whole life in, in on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Big, famous people would come in there. And I asked my boss one time, because I, I had worked for him and known him for like eight years. And I said to him, I've never seen you get sick, ever. Like, you don't get a cold. And it's not like he was like this fit, healthy guy. I was like, what is, like, how do you not get sick? He goes, my dad was a pharmacist. He was surrounded by sick people every single day for every year that he worked. He said, here's the thing. One, he had an immune system. But two, you don't touch your face. He said, if you make a conscious effort to not touch your face when you're out in public, 
you will not get sick 98% of the time, even if you're standing next to somebody with a cold or the flu. And I, I always thought about that, but now you're right. All the time when we go into a restaurant and we pull our mask off, I'm touching my face. I'm like, I'm my mask is way. my biggest fear of touching my face on a regular basis. But I do it. I, got, I had to do it. You know, and it's yeah. funny you mentioned that because I always joked about that. I, I, I've seldom been sick. I've seldom, I can't remember missing a day of school for being sick. I remember being sick one time and it was pneumonia. Okay. In, in the course of my life. Um, but I joked about it because my mother and dad, you know, grew up in a little farming town. They were farmers. I mean, they, the, right. the water they drank was literally like the running water. And they used to put some Tylenol or whatever in the water. And, you know, that's how they grew up. They grew up literally filth and contagion, you know. You know, nothing it built was, up their immune systems. And I'm telling you, like, I've seldom been sick in my life. I mean, I'll, I'll get a sniffle George Carlin, off. George but, Carlin said once that he swam in the Hudson River as a kid. Right, That's right. why he never got sick. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. But I'm going to tell you, because, you know, we just got back from Vegas. I, I was there. I was there for my 50th, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So, um, I, you know, my dad's really old school. He does, doesn't like to do anything like over the top or extravagant. So, like, I got there early, right. so upgrade the rooms and do some stuff. And yeah, it's his 50th anniversary, you know, my mom and dad. Yeah, it's a big so, deal. Yeah. And, we, and you know what? And, and honestly, in my dozen or so trips to Vegas, my wife and I have never been there and not been there on business. So we've never gotten to really enjoy Vegas as tourists, you know? So it was a very it's fun way trip. more fun as a tourist. It was it was a very fun trip, but I'm going to tell you this. It was it was very sad now, especially because you know when you travel the world or you just travel anywhere, you just even in your hometown, you know. It was very sad to see a place like Vegas, where customarily like the service is like the standard of how service should be anywhere, right? Like they, you know, everything's on point, on the spot. Everybody gets treated like kings, whether they are or not. It was. Right. It was terrible. It was terrible from the airlines to the hotel. I mean, you know, I upgraded our rooms. We had a penthouse, you know, in 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 in, in the hotel my dad was at, and um, like we didn't even get our rooms cleaned one day. And forget yeah. about trying yeah. to get a human being on the phone. So checking into the hotel now, they have all these kiosks. Now one person wants to talk to you. I even was checking out, and I was saying, "Look, I want to talk to you because I want to make sure you charge my card." And not my father's card. And it was like, well, there's a computer. And I said, I don't want to deal with the computer because I want a human being to tell me it's going to be done right. You know, and and when the room wasn't clean, forget about it. You couldn't. You, it's an indefinite hold. No one's answering any phones. Yep. No one's answering any phones. We had no hot water for two days. So in uh-huh. the room. So we had hot water in the bathtub. We had hot water in the sink, but we couldn't take a hot shower. So. I, I think what it was is somebody must have readjusted the handle so it didn't go far enough to get to the hot water. For two days, we're trying to call. Finally, we had to go to the front desk and say, dude, what the fuck? I can't get hot water in our room. You know? Yeah. And it, it was just, it, you could my parents, my mom and my mom likes to play slots. So she was doing this thing where like literally like half, while, while we're watching her play, half her balance disappeared on the screen. Oh. Now she had accidentally hit a button that changed the value of how oh, okay. it but we didn't know that so you know she's supposed to have like three hundred dollars in this machine and all of a sudden it became 150 as we're watching it oh my god let me tell you something now this is on the casino floor where nobody fucks around like i guarantee you if i took a screwdriver out of my pocket 
and started like fiddling with the screen on the machine, 15 people right on you. 30 right. seconds. Right. right. So here, she doesn't want to hit a button. She doesn't want to fuck with anything. 40 minutes, 45 minutes, we can't get a body. Wow. There's nobody on the floor. Really? We go to the we go to the pit boss at the tables, and they're like, dude, we have nothing to do with the machines. I'm like, dude, I get it. But you got a phone there and you know some numbers. You got to be able to call somebody because all you do is you hit a button, like you need service on the machine. A little light goes up on the thing. I don't even know if anybody's really receiving that signal. We're sitting here waiting aimlessly. You know, my mother right, doesn't want right. to walk away from $150, but how long do you expect us to wait? Dude, it was it was oh, sad. It was a sad, sad way to see Vegas. I mean, we had a great time. We enjoyed ourselves. And um, but it was a very, very sad way to see Vegas. It really was for, for something that should be. Um, I, I love my pillow cube. I missed it because I didn't take it with me to Vegas, Gary. So, yeah, I, I love it. I, I stand yeah. by it. It's perfect for me. I slept last night. I couldn't wait to get home to sleep on it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I tried to convince my wife to take it to Vegas. My wife's like, I'm not putting that in the suitcase. Like, if you, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Right. If you can get it back I know in people a, that do. a vacuum sealed bag. But I, I effectively, I effectively ducked pretty much everybody in Vegas. I, I, and that, I, listen, that in itself, I can't was believe masterful. That is well, masterful. My dad stayed. My right? dad, my dad's a big Harris guy, so he stays at the Paris, and he stays at the Paris because both my mom and dad, my dad's seventy-seven, and he's got a sciatica and back issues, so he can't walk long distances. So Paris is actually a really nice hotel because you get to your room and lot. You know, it's not a like walking a half a mile to get to the elevator. No, I, I've I've stayed a couple times at Paris. Yeah, it's a really Paris is right across the street from Bellagio Aria. Yeah, it's right by Bellagio. Right, right, like literally, Cosmopolitan's over there. It's everything's yeah, close. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. so it it, it 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 was really easy for them to get around. That's why he likes staying there. It's not it's not a lot of walking to get around inside the the hotel, and um, so we weren't really where everybody was staying. But you figure at some point you run into people. I really didn't run into anybody. I made one post when we were at Casa Fuente, and I got yep, a couple. Like, I see my booth. I'm like, uh, I'm not here on business. But the only person who actually caught me physically was Eric Calvino at the airport coming home. So That's I did. So funny. Yeah, That's he. Funny. I was literally waiting for Brandy to come out of the bathroom. Some dude jams into me. I was like, what the? It was him. I was like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> so yeah, it was a good trip. I thought maybe you you were gonna like pop in there or something. Like I wasn't sure if you were gonna go and. There's no popping you know. in. There's no stopping. No. In. No, no, no. I was surprised when I saw you make the post. I figured their main post wouldn't come until after you got home. Yeah. I wanted to show respect to Carlito. That was at his place and right, right. Was a good time. And, and yeah. And Danny I only posted, was, uh, I only posted uh, it in our socialite chat. I didn't post it on my true public page. So most of most of the people on our socialite. Our smoking social page, our patrons are not really industry people. So, Ronnie Haysha was all up in arms, man. He was he was upset. I saw. I told him oh, I look. was there. What's up, Lady M? Lady M. She's she's getting about ready to pop. Yeah, you dropped that baby. Yet? Baby. <laughs> what was Ronnie upset about? No, I mean, he, he messaged me in the morning. I'm like, I'm with my parents on their 50th. We're at the Grand Canyon right now, which was really cool because it was the first time I saw the Grand Canyon. My wife saw the Grand I've Canyon. I've never seen it. And it was the first time my parents saw it. So I was happy I was able to take them for the first time. Oh, and that's they, cool. And they were blown away by it. There's no picture. There's no image you can see. There's no video you can watch. 
that will give you the feeling of looking into the Grand Canyon. It's, it, were you terrified? No. No, we didn't. They have a glass walk, the horseshoe. We yeah. did it over the thing. But it's, it's just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling how it's 700 and some miles long, four states. It's just mind-boggling. In fact, they told me a piece of data that was amazing. It said, um, if you took every human being alive on the earth today and you dumped them in the Grand Canyon, it wouldn't fill half of it. Wow. That's a cool fact. That, that's pretty huge, dude. And what's crazy is, you know, when you when they first drop you off, you could walk right. It was the Eagle Eagles Canyon. It, it looks, it literally looks like an eagle. You know, it's, I got pictures okay. of it. It looks like an eagle flying. You know, from the butt side, and you could walk right up to the ledge. So, like, I, I mean, listen, to me, I was like, I, I want to look down, and I'm literally like, you know, 20, 30 feet uh. from the ledge. My mom and my wife are flipping out. My wife is yelling, living at me, because. <laughs> Because the driver told them that every year people die. They fall off the ledge. They're trying to get like a selfie photo or some stupid shit. And there's and no you're sitting there looking over the edge. right off the edge. And you got to remember, uh, these are rocks sometimes, so they're not stable. So literally, my wife was literally, she wasn't even, she was mad like for 30 minutes. Like, I'm like, because you, you got to remember, like, the, the, the ground goes like this. So she's seeing me stand here, and there's still another 20 yards. Right. Of ledge. It's hard to tell. Yeah, she can't see it, and she's flipping out. Flipping out, I'm like I just want to get a little closer, you know. But um, See, my wife, my wife would be the one like standing on the edge. She's like, I got this, don't worry. I I know she's been there. She lived in Vegas for a little while, but I've never gone. I've I've been I've been with people that went to go when we were in Vegas, and I never went. I'm like, why would I leave this glorious hotel? You know, you should for a day. You know, it's 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 worth a day to go and look. I mean, you know, you're not gonna see a lot of. The, you'll see only like one rim because it's a, it's a three hour ride. Wow. Two and a half hour ride, but um, it was nice. It was it was cool to see nature like that, man. It reminded me of Alaska. You know, when we went to Alaska, okay. we saw a lot of like you're looking at it like, man, this is what the Earth looked like before we fucked it up, right? Before, right, right. Before civilization like ruined it, and looking at the Grand Canyon, it was like that, man. You're just seeing like the Earth and nature like untarnished, and that's why they won't put rails. You know, they're not messing with the natural order of things. Now, what, what was interesting enough was, you know, growing up, I don't know if anybody ever watched the the, the Brady Bunch, you know, but yeah. you, you should be able to take donkeys down in, to go down to the bottom of the canyon. There's yeah. no more donkeys now. It's, it's a hike. It's a trail. But to get to the bottom and back up is 11 hours. Oh, oh my God. So, like, the guy's telling he us, did. man, you know, you, you got to plan. You right. got to a lot you of water. Because there's nothing down there. So you got a plan. And if you don't make it back up before the sun goes down, you're coming back up in pitch black. <sighs> so, yeah. It's so do insane. people camp down there? I guess you could if you bought gear. But, wow. you know, I'm seeing myself. Bring the- I'm seeing myself. I'm looking down. I'm saying, how cool would this be to be at the bottom of the canyon looking up? You know, and then the guy said, yeah, it's about 11 hour hike. I'm like, pass. 11 hour hike for what? Like, it would probably be a 15 hour hike for me. Probably be like a three day hike for me. (laughs) Yeah. What would three day? I would die. I would be dead at the end of the first day. (laughs) I'd make a good good carcass for a lot of the wild animals out there to to survive. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah, your body wouldn't stay. You feed the desert. Too long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Casey, coolest way. I believe a helicopter would be cool, but I do not do helicopters. There's a story about that. I just do not, I will not do helicopters. 
I've never flown in one either, but not purposely. Yeah. I just never, never had the the honor. No, no, I just I won't. Like, I mean, like if I had to fly like in a like a military, you know, whatever. Yeah, but like those little like glass ball like fishbowl yeah, toppers right. with a little metal tail. No, never happened. No, no. There you go, Chrissy. Keep standing on the edge, and you'll find out how cool the bottom is. <laughs> long, long, well, long way down. So it's it's funny that we uh, that we that Chrissy commented because our guest today, I I you know I I talk to Chrissy once in a while and she she can't say enough great things about our guest today Al McAuliffe and, and their company. So uh, it, it's it's his first time on the show, I believe. I, I checked the records, but I don't have documents going back to the first. No, two years. it is Al's first time on the show without a doubt. I think we we were trying to get him on like right before COVID and getting scheduled on and COVID hit and we were off the air for like two months. Yeah. 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 We had spoken to them. The loop, but But, yeah, uh, very excited to have them on. It's a, it's going to be a cool conversation because I mean, if, if there's a definition of a, of an entrepreneur, it's going to be Al as you'll, as you'll see when we talk to him, but kind of how he ended up in the cigar business as a cigar lover is an awesome story too. So without further ado, let's bring on our meet. You're making- I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. It's time to meet your maker. And joining us live from just outside of Fort Worth, Texas, Mr. Al McAuliffe. Al, welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so delighted, but I can tell you guys, after watching the banter between the three of you, I sure hope I don't disappoint you because you guys are amazing, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Thank you. We sir. just, we just, instead of therapy, we just talk to each other on That's the it, air. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> well, well done, guys. Well, so Al, we we said it. I said it before, but um, you know, uh, some of our our dear friends. Uh, happen to be really big fans of yours and uh, have, have really in the last, especially in the last year and a half or so, have really heard a lot about the cigars. And it, it seems like you guys have been have been in the spotlight quite a bit. But before we get into the actual cigar business itself, uh, I kind of want to talk about, you know, you, because you're an interesting guy. I mean, you're if, if there's a if there's a person that could define an entrepreneur, it would be you. I mean, how many how many businesses have you started and run in your career, Al? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I don't know the number, but it's it's got to be twenty plus at least, maybe more. You know, and, I, and you yeah. still own mul- multiple ones, correct? I mean, you, I mean, uh, yeah, you I still own a silicone own, manufacturer. Well, you only own the successful ones. You know, <laughs> the, crappy <laughs> ones, the crappy ones you forget about. You know, and uh, <laughs> right. everybody calls me an entrepreneur. I'm really. ADD. It had nothing to do with being an entrepreneur. I just, you know, I just have this uh, desire to understand other people's businesses, and sometimes I don't understand them well enough to save my own soul. <laughs> so you, so uh, along with the cigar business, do you do you still own the 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 ranch, CF Ranch? Yeah, I sure do. Um, um, that you know, I, I'm a kid born in Michigan to a lower middle class family. And I never thought, and you know, I, in, in my mind, I always had a desire. Uh, it was, it, it was. I can tell you that story. It was funny. I, 
when I was a little kid in the Cub Scouts, I built a crystal set. You guys are probably all too young to know what a crystal set was, but it's just it's a coil that you and you ground it, and you can pick up radio stations without electricity. Huh. And the only station I could get as a young guy was uh, Del Rio, Texas, because the tower was in Mexico, so they could blast out fifty thousand watts. You know, when they weren't regulated by the you know right, no rules. Yep, absolutely, there were no rules. So the only station I got. So I mean, my parents couldn't convince me that I didn't live in Texas. <laughs> Because I'm listening to all these Wolfman Jack and listening to all these Texans. And my dad would get a map out. My dad was, you know, from the island of Malta. He spoke broken English, but he had to try to convince me that Michigan is here and Texas is here and we live in Michigan. I go, I don't think so. You know? <laughs> so, so I always had this infinity. For, and I, as soon as I had the opportunity, I moved an entire heavy equipment manufacturing company to Texas, and I would load these all this big heavy presses on trucks. And when I got to Texas, I bought watermelons, and I filled the truck up with watermelons, drove it back, and I happened to be in a neighborhood uh, where um, everybody enjoyed the quality of the watermelons in Texas. So I sold those that made enough money to take another load of equipment down. So that's how I got to Texas. Wow. Wow. And, 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 and you, you started out in Texas with with renting, or what were you doing with this this big equipment you're talking about? Um, I, we were, I took over a, a bankrupt rubber company because uh, nobody would give a 25-year-old kid a company that made any money. Wow. So, <laughs> so I, uh, after I learned how to read an income statement and a balance sheet, um, and I figured, holy crap, Mikhail, if you're in a lot of trouble, <laughs> so you better figure, <laughs> out, figure out a way to dig yourself out of that. And by going to Texas, of course, I was in, right in the heart of the automotive business, and, and the cost for doing business, just labor and rent and all that stuff was so outrageous that I couldn't make any money. Um, but it took me a while to realize I wasn't making any money. So I ended up uh, moving to Weatherford, actually, at Weatherford, Texas, with our manufacturing operation. And it was uh, outrageously successful very quickly. But I, I I got a plant. I talked the city into building a plant for me in an industrial park. I rented it from them. Two years later, I had to double the size of that facility. And all these old cowboys were thought it'd be a hay barn by the time I, you know two years went by. But we, we really needed to expand, and they turned me down. Really? And, uh, yeah. And so what I did is I paid $160,000 payroll and $2 bills, and I covered the entire city of Weatherford at that time, maybe had seven or 8,000 people, and that money just floated around the city. And somebody was smart enough to go, oh, this company contributes a lot to this community. Wow. And they and they uh, they they approved it like the next week, and so that was just the beginning of you know. And then eventually, I bought the building from them, and they made a nice profit, and they were able to bring other companies in. But that's how I, you know, that's how I solved that problem. So I just wow. want to get this straight: your employees for one pay period, instead of getting a check, got an envelope with two dollar bills. 
Yeah, and I, there are pictures of me in a newspaper, and I had $2 bills. You know, $140,000 worth of $2 bills is a lot of $2 bills. And I was sitting there at a table handing out money, and it was way over my head, all this money, you know. And I thought, you know, if somebody sees this, somebody's going to rob me, but I <laughs> know what it did. But I, I, I told that story about a month ago on another show, and a guy calls me. He says, I still got the $2 bills that you wow. <laughs> That's been real. Had to be 25 years. Yeah, it was fun. Hey, Abe, don't you have a guy? Who's the guy that always brings you a two dollar bill? I have a patron that when I open stores, he signs me a a good luck two dollar bill. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. My boss sometimes gives us bonuses in two dollar bills. Believe it or not, he he still does it. I just want to see the face of the bank when he has, when he asked for one hundred forty thousand dollars in two dollar bills. I mean, were they? How long did it take them to get that for you? Do you remember? They didn't how have long? that around. Well, I had to go to the Federal Reserve in Dallas. There you go. And I, I, and I oh, drove wow. over there. We had this old beat up van that you know, old blue beat up van. I went over there and to pick the money up. But of course, that was kind of dumb because they didn't want to give it to me. But they eventually gave it to me because. I had to write paperwork, and the guy goes, "What are you going to do with all these two dollar bills?" I said, "I'm. A, I like to tip a lot." And he goes, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I said, "It's nice to have two dollar bills." So I drove that. I drove that 140 or 145. I don't remember exactly the amount back to Weatherford, and I had a friend of mine who was a Texas Ranger, and he's sitting next to me with his lever action. His name was Joaquin Jackson. He was the epitome of what a ranger looked like. Tall, oh. <laughs> yeah. six foot four, lever action, Winchester, sitting in the. I've used them in a lot of other occasions, but um, it was really, it was really fun. We got a tremendous amount of publicity after, you know, with that kind of deal. Al started saying Joaquin. I'm like, he's not going to say Walker, Texas Ranger, is he now? <laughs> I'm like, no way, because that would have been yeah. too funny. Um, well, actually, I mean, actually, Joaquin was used as a model for for texas ranger in several movies wow and uh, yeah i mean he was you know he wrote he's written a couple books and he passed away about a month well a month about a year ago oh sorry you know it's funny about the two dollar bills because with that same friend who brings me the two dollar bills he does this thing when he goes to vegas he'll get like you know a few hundred dollars and two dollar bills and then he'll he'll stack them and he'll glue them like a pad and that's what he uses for tips He's like, yeah, you're yeah. a doorman, a, 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 a taxi, valet. This because I just pull out my pad and I just rip off a dollar, two dollar bill, or two two dollar bills, and that, that, that's why. And he goes, the, the the guys get a kick out of it. They're better. You know, they they, they feel like they got something more than just getting like you know three or four. Exactly. It, people and, feel like it, it's more value than two dollars or four dollars, whatever you give them. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So that's that's pretty funny. So, how did the CF Ranch start, and what does CF stand for? Well, our original ranch was small, just outside of Fort Worth, um, and it was on the clear fork of the Trinity River. And um, so when we moved, or when we really got in the cattle business, at one time we had 14,000 head of cattle. Holy cow. I, I couldn't I couldn't afford to have everything re-monogrammed. And so, um, so we just, when we got to West Texas, we called it the CF Ranch. And we're inside of a volcano, a caldera of a volcano in the mountains. And so I wanted to call it Casa Fuego. Never caught on. 
you know, people made up a lot of funny theories, and you can think of what they came up with with CF, okay? Wow. But, but anyway, so that's exactly, that's that's why it's called the CF Ranch today. Wow. Now, did you have any, like, did you have any, like, cattle rustling experiences? Did people ever try? Yeah. It's a little different than the old days, but, you know, we had five ranches, 160,000 acres. So what would happen is every so often, you would find someone would pull up, drive some cattle to the fence, cut the fence, push them on, and then leave and go sell it. Go sell them in El Paso or someplace, um, you know, on a on a weekly auction or something. But I don't think we ever lost more than maybe totally fifty over the years. But you know, when you get a thousand bucks a head, you know, some cowboy that's rolling his own cigarettes. A thousand bucks is a lot of money to them, so they put five cattle on them and sell them for you know five grand or or four grand or whatever the, they bought so, that day. A lot of money. So they just catch them while they're grazing out there and just like snag them away. Yeah, it's you know um, there's so much mechanized feeding um, that you know you drive along with a truck that's got a big feeder on the back of it and you you punch the the, the feeder and it starts dumping range cubes out. So if you if you do it along a fence, those cattle, if there are any in the field, that you know they can hear that sound, and you know they're over there in a second. And they you, know you, that you, sound. Yeah, 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 they know that. And you know, smart cattle guys will feed in a big circle, so that every time you drive through the pasture, you don't have five hundred cattle running after you. So you you get you get them conditioned so that when the, they get the circle, then they come. If you just drive down there in your wife's Cadillac, you know, you don't have them all following you, you know. Wow. Huh. But, and then now you, you also own a silicone manufacturing company? That's what I moved to Texas uh, 46 six years ago. Yeah. Okay. So that was the rubber factory. Became, okay. I understand. Yeah, that was the, you know, and then, of course, you have these big presses, you know, 300, 400 ton presses, it's a lot of metal, a lot of iron to move, you know, and, uh, what, what, so, what, 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 what are you fabricating? What, what is, what, what is the product you're fabricating, Al? Um, a lot of gaskets and seals, but, uh, I don't know what kind of cars you drive, but all those spark plug boots that fit over the spark plugs, we've made three or four, you know, hundred million of those a year. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, and that, that, then we did all the ovens and gas ranges before self-clean um, all had our gaskets in and uh, lighting gaskets. And I mean, just a okay. whole variety of so, products. So, so this is, a, these are the types of stories I like to hear because no matter what you do in life, especially if you're, 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 you're you know, making fabricating things, if you get a gig where you're making all the spark plug gaskets for automobiles, that's, that's a life changing job. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a life-changing account. How did you get that account? Well, um, we one of the things we did early on is uh, figure out a way to take scrap silicone and convert it back to polymer, which made us uh, outrageously competitive. Uh, not outrageous. We were really, really the low-cost producer in the industry. So once we started out, for example, we had Prestolite, which was a harness manufacturer. We had that. And then, of course, the whole industry recognizes quickly that 
that you know you can make good product. You're innovative. You've got you can make your own raw material. Um, other people had to buy finished raw material. So we had tremendous advantages for many, many, many years. So they so, found they found you because you were innovative enough to find a, a better way to make a, the same product. Exactly. So yeah, we were told. I was told as a young guy, and I didn't. You know, I don't have a chemistry degree. I was going to ask who doing the chemistry. You have a chemistry background because that means somebody had to be smart enough to figure out how to do this. Yeah. Well, you know what? I uh, I'm dumb enough to realize that I don't know anything, so I end up end up doing lots of work. I was told by many experts that you couldn't convert you couldn't convert a finished cured product and turn it back into polymer again, and I, I basically. So that's, you know, uh, you know, you know, when you're making a product, if you overcook it, it starts to revert. It starts to look like mush. And I said, well, if, you, if it can revert, why can't I figure out a way to make it all revert? And so yeah. I, uh, yeah, they do it with other materials, do it with steel yeah. and, and, yeah, and plastic like and stuff like that. So I ended up putting it in an autoclave at a friend of mine who was at a medical business. And I said, oh. I want you to cook the shit out of this, and it came out, came out just like taffy. And I thought, aha! Uh -huh. And so we started. We built a process around that, which made us very, very um, profitable for many, many years. And that that's that was the foundation of of all the other businesses that we have. You know, that because it was the it was the generator of a lot of cash. And I, I you know, and I'm not buying 300 foot yachts. I just like to put it into new businesses, and I like—I just like the feeling of building something. I, I know, I know that I, I know exactly what you mean. That's what I've been done. On well, a you, have, you have a similar—you have a similar background in the sense that somebody says, you know, you can't do this, or we don't want you to do this, or you got to do my way. And you go bullshit. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll do it my way, and you know what, and. And don't if you underestimate me, I'm going to be in your underwear by the weekend, you know. So you know, I try to tell the guys that work for me, you know, as quick as you could come up or, or the words that are out of your mouth to say I can't do it or it can't be done, you could expend that same energy to try to figure out, all right, how can we do it? And you know, if you get a few guys in a room and you really start thinking, very seldom do you hit that wall where you just say, no, nope, no. Nope. Can't be done. No way. It's impossible. Exactly. Yeah. My you, may kids, not, you may not do it to 100% of what you were thinking, but you'll find some way that will get you where you want to go. Dead on. My kids will never, you'll never hear any of my kids saying, I can't. That was, a, that was you could say fuck when you were eight years old, but <laughs> you, can't, you can't say I can't uh, because, you know, your dad didn't like that word, uh, those words at all. And, and my daughter and my sons, none of my kids say I can't. You know, I tell my kids the same thing. Don't waste time. Tell me why you can't do something. Figure it out. I, I'm I'm dealing with that with my two year old now, and I, I keep telling him, you can you can try and you can do the best you can to try. And he always figures it out eventually. But I'm like, stop saying you can't and do. I I, yeah. I, I remember a video of my my son. He must have been he must have been. Uh, I know where you're going. One years old, one year old, and he, he there was a chair in our living room, and you know, the chairs have the little armrests, and it had the armrest with the hole in it. And he had climbed up into it and got caught and snagged. 
And that kid was like crying, looking at me, and I was videotaping him. I'm like, you got in there, man. You can figure it out. Get out. And he, he, struggled. Facebook. he struggled. He comes in my timeline once a year, but he struggled. He kept looking at me. I'm like, nope, you, you got yourself in there. You're going to get yourself out. This kid's like one years old. He doesn't understand anything I'm saying, but he's getting the gist of it. Finally, he works his way out. He's all happy. He comes over. He fist bumps me. And, and that's it. That's all I can try to teach him. You know, I mean, it's just so easy to say you can't do something. You know, he was so proud at the end of that video, too. You could see the pride in his face that he got out of it. Right. Dude, there's a sense of accomplishment. The sense of accomplishment is so much better than the sense of not trying. My daughter, Amanda, who you probably know. Yes. I I always told my kids, I never said, hey, take the garbage out. I would go, hey, you are in charge of the garbage. And, man, I think she was 14 before she realized that being in charge and taking the garbage out wasn't a big deal. <laughs> but I always made my – I always kind of gave them the responsibility and the authority um, in a funny way. And, uh, you know, I still do it today. You know, I mean, Amanda, you're going to be in charge of this project, you know. It's something that's awful and hateful. But, <laughs> but she, she said, Dad, I understand what that means. Okay. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so, so Al, before we're going to go to a break in a minute, but be, during this whole time, while you're building businesses, doing business, are you smoking cigars the whole time? Have, have you been oh, a, an avid cigar smoker? Uh, you know, at, at some point we were made enough money that, and I like to get places fast and do a lot of things. So we had our own plane, and I the only only, the only plane that was people were allowed to smoke on, and not cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes were definitely outlawed, but um, uh, but cigars. And I had a partner in a in his in the plane air, in a jet was a steel company, and um, I never met the guy. We were just we we got to be partners through a bank, and uh, I finally met him at a at a, a function. And we're standing in line waiting to get a drink, and he starts talking to me. He said, "Hey, I know you. we're partners." I said, "We are." He says, "Yeah, on the airplane." I said, I love you guys. You know, it's never a problem. You always pay the bills, you know, on time, you know, anything we need, you, you know, you're up, up for it. And, and I said, the only complaint I don't have, but my staff has is you guys are the drinkingest bunch of guys we've ever seen. <laughs> we, we split the booze bill on the airplane. Oh, wow. And, you know, none of us, none of us drink very much, you know, and uh, those guys, those steel guys, I mean, they live to drink. And, you know, a lot of old Texans are that way anyhow. You know, the Texas Rangers, you know, I say this with all reverence because I love every one of the guys. They're all functioning alcoholics. All the, all the ranchers are the same way. At the end of the day, they drink a bottle of wild turkey and go to bed. Get up the wow. next day at right. five and, and go back to work again. You know, Sounds like some and, of my stuff. But listen, I want to figure you're, you're talking ranch guys. That next day comes mighty early. You're talking about like, yeah, that's up, true. You know, it ain't come, come to work at 10 a.m. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and when I first got on ranching business, I learned so much. Like when somebody says, I want to come by the ranch and you go, well, what time? Well, I'll be there in the afternoon. Nobody says I'll be at your ranch at two o'clock because you never know what the hell is going to happen on a ranching, a big ranching operation. So they just show up. And one of my good friends and mentors in that business, his from the main road to his ranch house was 19 miles. 
and wow. you know it's it's a dirt road and yeah, yeah. right so i asked him when i got there finally i go i said i was going to be here at two o'clock does that mean at the front gate <laughs> or do you have to be at your house you know and uh it, 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 you know there's just so, so many funny things and one of the things that took me a while is if you ordered a particular piece of equipment at the hardware store nobody called you and said you know your lawnmowers in or whatever they tell everybody if you see al tell them his lawnmowers here so you know by the end of the day you had eight people tell you that your lawnmowers in at the hardware store but they never bothered to call you wow <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take a short break uh right now after the break we're gonna come back with al McAuliffe. we're gonna find out how this amazing story of this entrepreneur and businessman how how it ended up evolving into cigars um also yeah. the second hour we're going to ask uh, al the famous question of our avo segment as the record spins and uh we should have a coop on today or is he still at tpe yeah, coop will be on all right good uh, we'll he, have, is, uh, he did not go to tpe all right That's good it, and yeah. we'll we'll have uh we'll have coop in hour two so don't go anywhere keep it lit great yeah surgeon general warning cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease Currently available at your favorite cigar store, the Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real Nicaragua is another fantastic collaboration between AJ Fernandez and Rafael Nadal. Landing a number one cigar of the year of 2020 by Cigar and Spirits magazine, the Reserva Real Nicaragua is handcrafted at Tabacalera AJ Fernandez. This Nicaraguan Puro is a medium to full body cigar that is packed to the brim with flavor notes of leather, coffee, and red pepper, which pairs nicely with a spiced rum. Available in four sizes, Romeo y Julieta returned to prestigious form with the Reserva Real Nicaragua that should be enjoyed by all. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. Being a dad's not easy. Gotta enjoy the little things. Ever hear of a sippy cup? Yeah, that's not apple juice. That's Sunal, Bonner Private Wines. You know, our friends over at Bonner Private Wines have a really, really great deal for KMA listeners right now. All you have to do is go to kmawines.com, check it out, and we will give you a discount on shipping and a discount on the three bottle package. In that package is Sunal. It's a wine from 8,950 feet in the air. It's one of the hardest vineyards to get wine from. The vines are under stress, the wine is delicious, and it'll get you through days like these. When you have lots of things to do, and it feels like it will never end. So go to kmawines.com and uh, join the rest of us dads while we get our kids prepared for the day and just need that little extra kick. It's a Saturday, it's, it's okay if we do day drinking. We're dads, we enjoy it. We're allowed to have some fun. Here you go, buddy. You have yours, I have mine. Cheers. KMA Wines, well, that's for daddy. KMAWines.com, check it out. Not sure if you broke any child labor laws in making that. Yeah, 
I don't well, know. <laughs> it was nice to see him put the effort and see my little man on screen. Well done. Uh, hey. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was excited. Uh, he, he did try after after we filmed it. He tried to grab the bottle and drink it, and of course, my wife prepared it, so it was actually wine in there. I, I freaked out. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. "If you're gonna drink wine, drink it at night so you'll sleep." That's funny. Well done. Well done, Paul. <laughs> nice to see a new ad in the repertoire. We gotta get we gotta get him one of those mics though, Alex. Yeah. So that when he records these commercials with an iPhone from a distance, we can pick him up a little bit better. We have him. We'll I get thought the, I thought the I thought the background noise of, of Coco Melon, which I'm I don't know if Alex even knows about that, but he will because he has a new baby coming. Coco Melon in the background is the is the it's the 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 now soundtrack of my life in this house. Is that the new kids cartoon the now? Coco, Coco Melon. Yeah, you know this it's really the, sucks because my kid is over the hump. You know, Carmine's yep, over the and hump. Now you gotta go back. Baby baby stuff, and now I gotta go back to the baby baby stuff. So, so let me tell you something about Coco Melon. It's it is I believe they have the largest number of views in the world on YouTube. They're the highest viewed uh, video channel on youtube in the entire world but there's always in every era there's that there's those canadian guys what were they called the really the five guys in the colored shirts the, the wiggles they're australian uh, australian uh, australian canadian uh, uh, close enough right but no they were hot and then what was a go gabba yo gabba gabba was gabba gabba or something yeah i mean there's, Dude, then there's, wait, there's that blippy guy who's like really yeah weird. blippy he's, my kids he's love blippy like, yeah. blippy's like he's like Pee Wee Herman, kind of, but he's like weirder because it's not like a set, and he's just kind of like I don't know. But I don't. I'm Has not. There been a weirder guy than the guy who hosted Yo Gabba Gabba with the big orange hat and the orange spandex outfit? I don't know, man. Yeah, my kid was weird. Flippy's kind of weird to me, man. That was Flippy. Flippy. Blippy made, uh, I believe it was thirteen million dollars last year just from just from ah, the videos, not peanuts. including that, his merchandising. That's peanuts. The seven-year-old kid, Brian, Brian's <laughs> toy reviews. He brings in like thirty million a year. Unbelievable! Hey, Unbelievable! Hey, yes, sir. How many diapers have you changed in your life? Honestly, I will say maybe, uh -oh. and I have four kids. I might have changed two or three. <laughs> And I changed. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it really was for whatever reason where my wife was away. I was watching. You know, it happened. You know, I mean, it's, it was. If my wife was around, I really never changed a diaper ever. I mean, I'm not proud of that, but that's just the way it was. Well, I, I'm proud of it. I I changed one on each one of my kids just to say I did it, and that was it. So yeah, I changed three diapers in my life. Yeah, I don't think I can even say I changed one on each one of my kids. I think I missed at least one. One of them. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I mean, now I work from home, so that's part of it. But you know, Dan and I were talking. If your guts were hanging out, I could push them back in and stitch you up, and it wouldn't bother me. Touch baby shit or baby poop. <laughs> if you want to see an old guy gag, it's me. And I'm telling you. I don't know what it is about those eight-pound bodies, but they produce some of the most carnal stenches ever in mankind. Like, I mean, as a grown man, you could put booze, food, grease, and it don't come out smelling like some baby poop, man. That yeah, is, listen, no. when, they hit, when they hit like two, three, four, five, it's poop. But them early ages, it's oh. shit. It is oh, shit, man. man. It's just a whole different thing. 
Now, now, now Paul, I just gotta let you know, Al, because I don't know how many you know how you followed the show, but Paul actually went to a daddy day camp or something to learn how to change diapers. Are you, really? Daddy boot camp. It was daddy called. boot camp. It was called. Oh my god! There you go. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. Really, Paul? Yeah. What has happened? Well, what has happened to our world? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Al, I, Listen, from, I am from your school, sir. I am from your school. <laughs> but I will say, I will say this: I didn't actually take the class because that day it, the people didn't show up or something, and they they just gave us the books and said, "Don't tell so, your wife you you have three hours to kill." So let me let me let me, put, let, me, let, me, let, me let me just put this in perspective because like Paul's talking about that like a proud moment. What he doesn't fail to realize is he didn't take the class because there were no other men pathetic enough to show <laughs> I don't up. Know. So no, no, no. Was, students were there. There were 35 students, but none of the men with babies showed up. There were supposed to be guys oh, that brought God. their kids it, in. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, Al, I love, Al, you. I love you guys. Have you ever, you ever attended a baby you shower? Have a whole, if you ever have a whole, call me again because I, I love talking. <laughs> to yeah, here, here's another thing. Al, here, here's yeah. another thing, Al. Do you go to baby showers? No. Exactly. I, oh, you know what? I got tricked into going to one about a month ago. You got tricked, but it's, a, it's right. You I, got I, tricked. I actually got tricked into it. I didn't Paul realize it was baby, baby showers shower. and weddings twice a month. Oh. First of all, I've been to two baby showers, and they were it was where the husband stood in one corner drinking. And I'm sorry, my I went to my son's two baby showers at the end to pick them up, and then I went to two others that were friends of ours, where the guys, all the husbands were there, like hanging out, drinking too, too beer, many, whatever, like too, too many. I, I just wait now. Now I just want to get this. So you didn't go to your own baby showers, but you went to two other people's baby showers. Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I was at the baby showers. I'm thinking bridal showers. I was at both my boys' wet bridal there you showers. Go. I was. There you go. I, I, I still believe in the division of labor, and my division has nothing to do with that side of uh, of raising kids. You know, being involved. I love this guy. <laughs> I, I mean, I love this guy. Listen. I don't disagree, but as Terrence Riley always says to us, Abe has a good union. Him and I don't. So we we, we share the division of labor with the kids. <laughs> so, well, I, I, my wife quit work. She was a special ed teacher an hour and 20 minutes after we were married. So, <laughs> so she was home, you know, so I felt like, look it, you know, I'm going to work every day. You handle this. If if she left me with the kids, I would be on. I call my mother. She left so, me with the kids. You got ten minutes to get over here. <laughs> it's going to sound a little chauvinistic, I know, but sometimes I say I, I'm realistic chauvinistic, right? So, I I'm a firm. My wife worked until she got pregnant. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. It is a very noble, and I think it's very positive if a parent can be home with the child. I don't have a problem if my wife can go out and support the family, and make a living. I'll, I'll, I'll take on that role, but I don't. Think, I don't think it's any. Um, you know, in today's society, it's like bad for a woman to be a housewife and raise kids. It's like, oh, you're not doing nothing. I just don't. Never understood that mentality. That's the future. The kids are the future. Developing yeah. minds and, and making them into positive human beings in the world is probably the most noble job you could have. Well, if, if I will be, I'll be clear. My wife doesn't work either. 
Yeah, well, if your wife leaves you at home with the kids, you really understand. She has the toughest job in the world. I don't oh, care. Abs- absolutely. Nuclear physicist. She has got an incredibly tough job. Um, I, I, we have a waitress that works for us at Riata at a restaurant. I, she just graduated from college. It took her 25 years. She, gra- she graduated from college. She drives a school bus. She works at a restaurant. And she takes care of her daughter's um, child because there's some, some issue there. This is a girl that's doing all of this. And, uh, and I talked to her yesterday at the restaurant. She tears in her eyes. 25 years to get her degree. Wow. And she substitute wow. teaches on top of that. I mean, I don't know a man that's got five jobs. You know, we, listen, uh, we, we wouldn't do it in about year five. We would send the kids out, go forge for yourselves. Right. Go yeah, yeah, 100%. We just don't have that, that tolerance. Oh, no. Look, I work and, all day, and, I, and sometimes I feel like I work with 40 children all day, right? And I can deal with them because I can tell them to out or do whatever. And then, you know, during the day, I said, oh, I can't wait to get home and see my kids and, you know, whatever. And I'm not kidding you. Like, 45 minutes into being home, I'm like, is it bedtime yet? Don't you guys got to go to bed? I don't know how my wife does it all day sometimes between the needs of four kids all wanting her attention and talking to her. And it's it's mind-blowing. That That's really something, honestly, I don't care what you say. Women are just more programmed to do that better than Jenny left me on Sunday with the kids. That was the kind of her day to go out on her own, they'd be go to bed at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Bedtime. <laughs> Crazy. All right, we're gonna we want to start getting into how you, the company, and all your work and efforts started to venture into cigars. But before we do, we have a little segment sponsored by Avo Cigars. Uh, Al, it's called As the Record Spins, and we're going to ask you a very special question from Eddie Guerra from Avo Cigars. All right, Al. Here's a question from Eddie Gareth of Mavo Cigars in our As the Record Spin segment. Eddie would like to know, if you could live in any city in the world, other than the one that you're currently living in now, Al, where would it be and why? Okay. I love New Zealand. And wow. there's a beautiful city in New Zealand called Milford Sound. And uh, it's where bungee jumping uh, originated. But it is a beautiful um ocean sound kind of a, a place with you know new zealanders are a lot like texans you know they're a little out of control and uh, i just enjoy and i would love you know if i had to go somewhere um and i have dual citizenship uh, but not with new zealand but i would love to i would live in new zealand i mean you know it's it's comfortable it's beautiful and there are good people now, what took you to New Zealand? To, to, to I mean, was there something there? What, what, what? Because it, it's not a you know, commonly mentioned or you know talked about place. What, have, what took you to New Zealand to discover New Zealand? I, I was reading an ad um, one day about a ranch that had that had hunting in New Zealand, and I and uh, I ended up flying down there. And after spending a couple of days with the owner, 
they moved me to their house, you know, from a lodge. Oh, wow. And, and every night we would dress for dinner every night. And then after dinner, we put coveralls on and go jump in the back of his pickup and go shoot rabbits. Wow. You know, and, and they have ranch radios. And I shot that antenna off about six times. You know? <laughs> and what they did is they put you inside on the back inside of two inner tubes that were framed by metal. So you could be sloshing around back there driving, but you, but you didn't hurt yourself because of the big inner tube. And then you just shoot these rabbits and they drive like hell. And, you know, I mean, we, and I, I so look forward to that. And I later became a partner in a sheep operation with this guy. We had 20,000 head of sheep in Utah and uh, in Wyoming. Um, and the stories about this guy, uh, I mean, he finally killed himself in a helicopter because oh. he was such he was such a wild guy. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible. And that's that's when I started flying helicopters. After I got back from New Zealand, I said, I want to do that because I was a fixed wing pilot. So I ended up and I still fly. I still fly here in Parker County for our sheriff. Whenever oh. they have a problem, you know, they call me and say, hey, Al, can you help us find this kid or. Can you, you know, can you, can you help us find this guy who escaped from jail last night? I mean, I've had very, very interesting afternoons and days with these guys. That's wow, awesome. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of awesome. <laughs> it really is kind of awesome. Well, we want to start getting into the cigar side, but before we do, I just want to remind all our listeners as part of a KMA special today. If you didn't catch it during the break. Um, we're, if you haven't tried them, it's a great opportunity to try them. Go to smoking.com. There's a code to save an additional 15% on McAuliffe cigars. This weekend only, today and tomorrow, ends midnight tomorrow. Use the code MIC15. And uh, if you're a big McAuliffe fan, here's a way to save and uh, stock up a little bit. And if you haven't tried it, here's a great way to try it and check it out. And save a few bucks while you're doing it. So, Al, tell us... You're a successful business guy, obviously. Now you got multiple companies, and you know, obviously, there's not need to start another company. How did you get into starting making a cigar brand, and then eventually owning a, a fa- your own factory? You know, um, I've told this story many times, but the the Gomez Sanchez family, two of the brothers, um, you know, when they left Cuba in a, in a variety of ways, none of them very legal. They, um, you know. <laughs> They went to Mexico and they had a plantation in, Sa- in the San Andreas Valley growing, growing wrapper. Um, and um, that got taken over by the, the local Mexican government. Um, and I mean, because of their relationship with one police official, they weren't murdered and buried. Um, so they, so, so now again, they, they leave another country uh, with nothing. And so, the only way they kept their family eating is they would drive around and stop at cigar stores unsolicited and roll product and sell product. And, uh, you know, and, and actually they were making fake Cubans in Mexico. Uh, you know, I mean, no. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and on the beach and they sold them on the beach. The great thing about it is, is they made good cigars, you know, cause there are a lot of fake Cubans that aren't very good. Well, that, that's the one thing about fake Cubans. It doesn't mean they're a bad cigar. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, that's, that's why, you know, 
25 years, I don't even try to tell people they're fake because we get people who come in and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or they want my opinion. And even if I know they're dead fake, I don't even want to get into the argument. I'll just say, look, did you smoke your one? And I'll say, yeah. I said, did you like it? He goes, yeah, it was great. I said, what do you care? Enjoy yeah, it. Who cares, right? Yeah, go exactly. smoke it. Who cares? So they 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 were they came into Fort Worth and they had this not old but old um, SUV and they broke down absolutely in front of Silverleaf, the place that I hang out. And so they came in and asked Jake if they could roll cigars and and uh, at, at first Jake said no, but eventually he let them. I start I smoked their sticks and I went, holy crap, these are really good sticks, and. Um, and of course, Dan, who you know, um, they couldn't get their car fixed. They raised enough money to get it fixed by selling cigars. Dan put them up at, at the Fort Worth Club, where Dan's a member. And I own the restaurant, so we we fed them. And and you know, they kind of like being in Texas because I think they could have left two or three days earlier than they did, but they hung out with us. And finally, at the end of the well, I know where they were leaving. I said, hey, could you guys make me a 1,000 cigars? And they go, of course we can. And um, and I said, let me tell you what I like. And they go, no, no, no. We've watched you for three days. We know exactly what you like. So in seven or eight months, I got a 1,000 cigars from these guys. And I started smoking these cigars. Later became the cigar of the year. And um, I said, holy crap. I started handing out to my friends who were – much more astute, at, you know, had better palate than me. And they go, Al, these are really good cigars. I don't, I'm not a religious guy, but I pray every night that I ended up having these guys work for me. If I understand this story correctly, because I love serendipitous moments like this, these, ca- these guys' car don't break down. There's a chance you never even get the cigar business. Exactly. No, I wouldn't have been. See, yeah. and this is why I try to teach people all the time, especially you know, I, I try to mentor the guys that work for us here because a lot of them believe in luck. But I, I, I often say luck is just most of the time realizing opportunity that's right before you where other people don't see it. And here's a perfect example. These guys' car break down. They end up putting them up, feeding them, spending time with them, and eventually built a company, you know, you know, uh, from that. So – here, here it is. Is it luck? Is it your opportunity to see a situation eventually and say, hey, look, there's something here? I mean, this is a great story. These are the stories, uh, kind of stories I love. Hey, what I realized is these guys extremely talented at blending and processing product properly, but they were the worst business people that I, that I, I don't know. If you went to a third grade class, you probably have more business acumen in that class than these guys have. They're from Cuba. They know that, nothing about That's very common with talented people. Like some of the best chefs don't know how to run a restaurant. You know, I, I know a lot of guys who are great artists or designers, but don't know how to run their own company. You know, it, it, it's it's two different parts of the brain when you're considering, you know, when in that side of a business. And very seldom will you find a guy who has both. It's It's common. And I said, to, I said to the guys when I finally got to the point where I was investing with them, I said, guys, I have one rule, and it's I don't have partners because I've never seen a partner situation over a long period of time ever turn out in a positive way. True. And so um, I said, you'll make more money than you ever made in your life 
you know, your, you know, your family will have monies for cars and houses and college and all those things. But, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be running this business from, from the marketing standpoint and from growing this business and developing ideas with all my guys that are really good at it here, not me. But I said, you know, um, that's the deal. If you want the deal, fine. If not, I'll do something else. And they agreed and I've kept my word to them and uh, their family, they're doing very well and they are taking incredible care of us. Our product, as you know, Abe, year after year after year is consistent and, and I don't think we have a bad cigar in the whole bunch. Um, you know, I, I go back and smoke stuff I smoked in the beginning and say, hey, now I understand why I smoked it because it's, it's, it's great product. And the most important, you know, I'm a quality maniac in our restaurants and everywhere. I mean, I, I believe that eventually quality wins out. And, that, and, and we've been very successful and very lucky in the cigar business because we had these guys and then we have people like Dan and Amanda and the other people in our organization, Alan, um, who's worked for me all over the world, built plants, managed plants everywhere for me. And now he's doing it in, in Nicaragua. So, so you end up acquiring their factory. Yeah, which, which was basically inventory that they've had for years, which gave us a hell of a start because we really did have product that, were, that was five, six, seven, eight, ten years old tobaccos. And so, you know, um, and that made a huge difference when we started. And right now we're buying product for 2024 and 2025 um, so that we truly have product that has been fermented properly many times and aged properly. Um, and so, you know, I believe in that. I mean, I'm going to eat every day whether I sell a cigar tomorrow or not. But I just want, I want that quality and I want it to move into the next decade. Um, and, and I want to build a, a substantial quality company and I'll be happy. Now, I had the pleasure of actually having a, a meeting with your team, Dan and Amanda, and I was extremely impressed. I was impressed at their philosophy, how they were running it, how they were interacting and dealing directly with the consumer base. I think a lot of people think that making a great cigar is the end all and that's enough. And I see that all the time sitting in this office right here, and it's not. And uh, you, you've managed to, 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 to which is, is typically a sign of a successful company, acquire yourself a pretty amazing team. Now, did, did Dan and these people have backgrounds in the cigar business? Or how did they look at this when you started venturing into it? Well, the, they didn't have a background in the industry, but they certainly had a background as a consumer and um, of, of fine cigars. And, and, and uh, Dan is uh, he's sitting here, I got to tell you, I've had hundreds of executives work for me. I've never had a guy like Dan. He is the most, he's incredibly bright, thoughtful, never blames anybody for a problem. He just wants to know what the problem is and he goes to work and correcting it. And, and I, you know what? Some, you know, at some days, as you know, Abe, you go into work and go, why the hell am I doing this? I'm killing my, I, I am totally excited again. And I come in on days that I'm off 
just to sit there and chat with these guys and figure out strategies and new plans and new ideas. And everybody said, you've been in the business for eight months. You're buying a plant. You're buying a place in Esteli. And so we ended up buying Davidoff's plant when they left. And, you know, um, and, and we've been upgrading that plant for three or four years now. And, you know, and I'm so proud when we, when every, every, every week we talk with Alan, if he's down there, we zoom with him and he takes me through the plant and all the changes we've made and, and, you know, what we do with employees, um, you know, we, we try to treat people like we do in the United States. We, you know, I, there, you know, there's no difference between us and the guy rolling that cigar other than we've had some opportunities or we've taken advantage of some things that they didn't have the tools because of being in a third world country. And so we've got a lot of loyalty. We don't lose very many people. And, um, and you know, rolling, as you guys know, rolling cigars in the way Cubans did 50 years ago takes a, a lot of additional training. And it takes a lot of additional cost to triple ferment product and, and to keep a, a lot of dollars wrapped up in old inventory. You know, that, you know, when you're buying product for 2024 right. today, putting millions of dollars in, in product um, that you're not going to receive a nickel from for five or six years. No, so, that's, that's part of the game. When guys get into business, they don't realize just the amount of, cash flow and tying up you need to be able to run a business where you actually have product to sell on a regular basis and not running out for months it's it's interesting while you were talking i'm, I'm actually smoking a mccallough experienza but i i got down to the point of uh taking the band off and i i came across i didn't know this before this great graphic on the back of the label an alliance between two great families it was just, you know, as you were talking, you know, it just kind of goes to show your commitment to each other. Yeah, that's our, that's our attitude. I mean, our attitude is, you know what? I mean, everybody uses this word partner, you know, and, and, and they abuse the shit out of it. Believe me, you know, the automotive industry calls your partners or put you out of business. Um, no, we really believe that, you know, if, if you want that's you know, you won't. The people in my headquarters are with me. Every every one of them, twenty, thirty, forty years with us. You know, um, it, it just. You know, you are part of our family, and uh, and and I and I love them, and I love their kids, and that's just just the way we operate. And and Dan came to work for me one day a week, and we sucked him in. Now he's 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 up to his ass in alligators and loves it. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That it really is. Um, before we get coupon here, I want to just ask, I want you to touch base because, you know, one of the things when I, when I had a meeting with your team, your team and my team, we had a Zoom conference call, I was very impressed with, was, like I said, how they were grasping the culture and the interaction with the consumer base. And you guys have, like, this amazing ambassador program. I think there's, like, 5,000 people in it. Can you tell us a little bit about it, Al? Yeah. You know what? Um, Dan, you know, because of his background at running a, three billion dollar business um, at Microsoft you know he's he's a very data driven but not in a way that makes him you know ineffective so we commissioned 
a university here that we're very close to, Texas Christian, TCU. I wanted to know, Dan wanted to know, what drives someone to try your product? And, um, you know, we spent $400,000 the first two years advertising um, in various magazines. But we really wanted to know, where, how, how do you make a decision to try something? When we got through with the study, we found out that, number one, one of your friends says to you, hey, Al, or, 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 you know, Abe, have you tried a McAuliffe? Here, try one. That's number one. Number two, if you're in a store and you have an ambassador or an owner who is knowledgeable and he says, hey, you, I got some new McAuliffe's in. New, you know, it's a new company, but you got to try these. They're great. That's number two. Number three, social media has influence. Sure. Number number four, our magazines and periodicals. One percent. One percent people make decisions on what they've read in the magazine. They may try the top twenty-five, or they may try something that they saw a flashy ad, but it's very minimal. So Dan and I sit there, we're thinking, okay, guys. How do you get your friend to recommend a McAuliffe? Um, even, you know, and we thought we we have to develop a core of McAuliffe people that really truly believe in our product, and um, and so that's that started the ambassador program. Now there are a lot of companies that try ambassadors or you know whatever you want to call them, you know. Um, but you've got to inter- you've got to work with those people daily, and you got to put programs together that are fun that they like to participate in, and um, and you just can't say, hey, I've got three thousand ambassadors, you know, but you do nothing with them. Right. You know? Yeah. So so I can tell you by sitting in these meetings every day when I come in and talking with our staff, they're acting and interacting with those people every single day and you know of course you've got some people that are totally dedicated um and uh every time they hear i'm at a store we you know they show up at the store you know and they walk in with their coins and these people carry their coins with them every day and and so um that that's really the secret we we're up to we're very close to six thousand ambassadors now that's and, great. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and I I want to I want at least ten thousand people out there being pseudo salesmen for us, but also I want them to enjoy the experience of our product. And we believe me, we listen to these guys, uh, you know. And you guys see flashing on the screen are people that say, "Hey, uh, my ambassador number is eight thousand three hundred sixty-four." You know, um, yeah. you know, I, I just and. And, and and then not, and then they now work with themselves. We have guys that have what you guys just did in, in the introduction, you know, bantering back and forth. Every week they have people on their programs are from all over the country, and they're just chatting the way you guys did. And they've set this up because they're all ambassadors and they want to communicate with each other. That's great. No, it, it, you and I have very similar f- philosophies in your company, and uh, you know, um, and, and it's kind of one of the reasons why we started our own smoking social group. Because for us, you know, we really believe the the best advertising we can have is when we have satisfied consumers that go out there and tell everybody else about how different the experience is 
when you spend your money with our company. You know, when you when you buy from Smoking, we really believe that, you know, how we service and the experiences that we create, especially for the guys who, you know, follow our company or involved in our company, uh, sets us apart from everybody else. And no matter how I advertise or what I do, there's no better word of mouth than when we have hardcore people who are enthralled in the culture we develop go out and tell other people about it. And um, I, 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 I agree with you. I didn't have to spend four hundred thousand, luckily, to, to to get to that point. But you know, <laughs> no, I mean, well, it me a few bucks. But you know, I mean, that's just something that being in retail from birth, literally. I mean, I grew up in retail and service and consumers. I saw how my father always competed and kept loyal customers and built you know a business in a very small grocery store compared to some of these big chains that were in Chicago. And it was just something I just physically witnessed growing up and became, you know, encoded in how we do our business here. And knock on wood, you know, it's it's been paying off now for over uh, for almost a quarter of a century. Well, Abe, I got I got to tell you this, and in, in all sincerity, we knew who you were from nearly day one. We got into business. We never thought we would have the opportunity to work with you guys and be part of your programs. We were, we just you know you were just like the icon to us with re, respect of what you did with your business. I mean that sincerely. Thanks. I mean, if you wanted to see guys that were giddy and happy that we have the opportunity to present to you even um, over the last few months, um, uh, you know you would be very proud of what you've done. Thank you. you know, I, I say that with all with all sincerity. No, thank you. And I'm just going to tell you something like, you know, for us, for us and what we do, and Alex to, to attest to it, it's a lot of planning and organizing. Even when we do things, not just like the Great Smoke, but even just like some inner store functions or competitions or the fun that we kind of have, even things like the Connoisseur Club, which was, you know, something that no one had ever done before. And these are new experiences and new adventures. It's always so much easier to deal with people, <laughs> contact them and, and be able to come to a realization pretty quickly. Do you want to be involved in doing this or not? And, and that's the worst battle and the worst thing. I hate being on this end when it's just so hard to get answers. And one of the things that impressed me most about talking about your team is how they got it right away. Like, no, no, we'd love to do this. We want to be involved in this. You know, and it wasn't like this big thing. And that, that's what always makes it easier for guys like us on our end when we're trying to do and create things because the, the quicker we can get a response and organize and plan, the better it is. And some of these companies just can't make a decision and they, it drags out forever. And it's mind blowing. I don't know how, how they figure out who's going to the bathroom at what time it's, 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 it's mind boggling, but no, you have a great team. And I, I was um, extremely, extremely impressed and very excited to, to connect with Dan and Amanda and the team and, and just to see how receptive they were to some of our, off-the-wall ideas that we have and projects that we have for this year and next year. Let me tell you what I really enjoy about you, Abe, is you are honest as the day is long. You call it as you see it, and I so respect that because a lot of times you'll tell somebody, you know, and it may not be what they want to hear, but it's honest, and, and you can deal with honesty. You can, if, you, if you are open, you, you say, hey, I – you know that is, he's right. I, you know, I, I'm wrong on that, and I think that's 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 really you're really to be commended. No, well, I think fabulous. I just spent a weekend with my father, and I think that's where I got it from. He's just a brutally <laughs> honest guy. He was brutally honest with us growing up, 
you know, and it, look, I just, I just find that any other way to be is waste everybody's time. Yeah. If you just can't be direct and honest. You're just wasting time yeah. trying to filter to what the real point of a message or information you're trying to get across. And some people don't take it well. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't take that well, but it is what it is. It's a universe that I could live in easier being direct and, and straightforward every day. And it just makes my life well easier than ever. You would love the Gomez Sanchez family. You would cringe because if I'm with them and somebody hands them a cigar and says, Hey, uh, this is our new, this is our new product. We're bringing it out next week. And they smoke it and they go, Hey, what do you think of it? And Joel will go, well, it tastes like shit. You know, and Hello. so that's a, to me, that's a bit more honest than you really need to be. You could say, well, it's it's very interesting. It's got an interesting, <laughs> yeah, you don't tell them the interesting flavor tastes like shit, but you know, but uh, I get a kick out of them, you know, they're very honest. No, that's that's great. All right, uh, Paul, let's 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 check out what the scoop with Coop is this week. All right, let's get to Coop. He is on and ready. Sorry, I was so enthralled by uh, this. All right. Here we hey, yo, what's my theme music? The Scoop with Coop. Breaking industry news. Hear it first on KMA Talk Radio and cigar-coop.com. And joining us live from the Carolinas, there he is. Oh, actually... You actually say the town you live in now on your show, don't you? Yeah, Indian Trail. It's just outside Charlotte. Indian Trail, okay. So from live from Indian Trail, uh, North Carolina is Coop with the Scoop. Coop, how's it going? How's it going? Hey, guys, can I make one comment? Yes, sir. I need to Coop is one of the finest men, and we consider him a, a, an incredible friend of, of McAuliffe Cigars, and he is... I mean, if I've had a mentor in this business indirectly through Dan, it's Coop. I'm telling you, this guy thank is you. Un- awesome, unbelievable. Thank, thank you, okay. Al. That means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot. Thank uh, you. You know, and, 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 as long, and, and as long as we're throwing the compliments, I'm going to say, again, a lot of cigar companies need to know how to engage with media, just engage uh, with teaming or whatever. I'd recommend them to Al and Dan and tomorrow. Um, they're true professionals, and I've learned a lot from you guys as well. Well, thank you, sir. Cool. Crank up your volume just slightly. A little bit. I'm, then I'm once, you crank it up, not looking. once you crank Big it up, up, crank it down two notches because that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens every time. All right. There we go. So, um, so, so Coop did not go to TPE. Right. I did not go to TPE, um, and it was really – it was just a timing issue – uh, making it out there with vaccines and stuff. I will be a PCA. Um, Abe, you weren't at, you were in Vegas, but you weren't at TPE, correct? No, I just happened to be there. I, I, you know, I did communicate with some of the guys. Uh, from what I heard, the turnout was uh, higher than normal. They said, but I think I was just from people being cooped up for a year, looking to get out anywhere to do something. Yeah, no pun um, intended. No yeah, pun intended. I, that was part of it, but no, I, I didn't once go near the show floor of the exhibition area. Yeah, TP has never been a show for me. You know, I just, I, it's, I've never participated. It's never been something I've went to, and I just happened to be in Vegas the week on accident that it was there. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously the big story this week in the news. While I wasn't there, um, what I did is, uh, I think you know uh, Matt Ty and Garrett Robinson from How About That Cigar. Um, they came on the air with me from the trade show floor on Thursday, and I kind of got a lay of the land of everything. You know, the thing is, from talking to them and talking to some of my friends, everyone was in a positive mood, I think, because it was like the first big gathering of the industry. Um in almost two years, if you think about it, maybe since the festivals last year, uh, before COVID started. So I think there was this, there was a definite positive. Um, my observations, at least from video at the trade show floor, it wasn't a ghost town. Um, they had people moving through it even on Friday, so I think that was a positive. You know, but everyone who's at the trade show, they're going to say, Abe, hey, they had a great show. You, you never hear people come out. I heard one manufacturer once tell me they had a bad show, right? But that most people either going to say they had a great show or you yeah, traffic down, people were buying. So it's hard to tell because no one is actually ever going to release what their sales figures are from the show. But, you know, you, I think there was a tone that there was, you know, there was a positive tone with the trade show. Um, the, uh, there were a couple of other interesting things that I looked at. Um, I think the big story came on Thursday, and I heard you guys talking about masks at the beginning. Um Thursday, like after the first day on Wednesday, there was a memo that went out from the TPE to all the attendees basically saying you have to wear your mask uh, when you're walking the floors. And then there was a, at the party they had, there was another announcement on that, followed by a second memo before the show opened on Thursday. What Matt and Garrett told me is Wednesday there was hardly any mask enforcement. Thursday the game changed and there was a lot more mask enforcement. The Kind of, I guess, the interesting thing about all that is they, they, I guess the safety officers were like these scantily clad women <laughs> or skin-tight dressed women. And I, I was laughing. I was like, that has to be the most brilliant idea I ever heard. From yeah, that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to get mad at them? Did, <laughs> did they lift the mask up for you? <laughs> Put they, it on? They were... I, I mean, I'm, there's some pictures out here out there. One had like a whip in her hand, right? This is, this is no joke. And people were like wanting to get, wanting, apparently there were people I heard from Matt and, and Garrett that they put the masks down so, so the safety enforcement officers would come after them to put it back on. <laughs> That's funny. Great idea. What else you got going on? Um, you know, I think also the other thing is there was some interesting product releases that come out. Um, that I'll just note a few of them. Uh, All Saint Cigar is the line owned by Mickey Pegg. He has a new line called uh, Saint Francis that he's introduced. It's an Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro line. He also has a line extension to his Dedicacion line called the Mitre. Uh, I think I got that right, Mitre. It's a uh, rounded torpedo. If you're an EP Carrillo fan, they have something called the Trilogy. Uh, it's a three. It's a three cigar box sampler, and it has the the La Historia, the Encore, and the Pledge. Encore and Pledge being the number one cigars of the year um, in 2018, 2020. La Historia, number two cigar of the year in 2014. If you want to get all three of those cigars, you can get that. Um, and then I could, uh, Vintage Rockefeller. That was uh, Kevin Schweitzer's line. He has a new Art of Magic limited edition cigar with a Cameroon wrapper. That's coming out. Um, so he was like, he was showing that off or giving that out to folks who were at his booth. Um, here was the most interesting thing I saw at TPE. You know, TPE, at least I saw, TPE tends to be more for, you know, still the convenience stores. But Altinus was showing off this Monte Cristo BRM 
uh, humidor, which is priced at $11,000 at this show. And it's a, it's a luxury humidor. It's got a custom Monte Cristo blend in it. Uh, it's got a um, Bernard Richards uh, watch in there, with, and the humidor has a built-in watch winder. And this thing priced at $11,000. I thought that was kind of an odd wow. thing to show wow. at TPE. I know they were showing this off also at the uh, Meat Lovers Club dinners in Texas that were held this week. Um, but the, I actually saw a video of the unit. It was spectacular. But I, was, I thought that was an interesting move that they, they took that to TPE. Um, I don't know how many people would, would be shopping for that there, but it's, it's interesting, I thought. Yeah, that's, that's something else. <laughs> Wait, the most interesting thing at TPE to me was the video of Cigar Dojo and um, and Michael Herklotz. I saw that the band. <laughs> yeah. I, I where where Michael's sitting at the urinal. I mean, yeah, just, I just I guess, how everybody bothers you at the most inopportune times. Abe's talked about that. You have to, like, hide from certain people. I, it was just awkward, <laughs> in all honesty. It was. It was definitely awkward. Um I, but I kind of, I was like, I was trying to figure out. That probably makes sense, though. How you said, it. I was trying to figure out what they were doing with that. I was waiting for something like, "What's the catch here?" And it was like really nothing. And, and it, I don't know. I think it came across a little. I mean, it came across kind of funny in a way, you know, just those two guys. But uh, Eric came in there. But I thought there was she was gonna drop or something in that video. It didn't happen. It was. It was strange for sure. I watched it. I thought it was funny. But anyway, what else you got, Coop? Uh, last, just one last note. Camacho also showcased a new release there. It's called the Camacho Factory Unleashed. Uh, this is going to be something that's sold in 100-count crates or uh, paper wrap bundles of 10 cigars. This is a, uh, I want to say it's a little more of a value price cigar that they're going to have. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's basically an Ecuadorian Corojo wrapper over Honduran binder and Honduran Nicaraguan and Dominican filler. And that'd be hitting the scores. Uh, relatively soon. Okay. And what else? And what what did we not ask Mr. McAuliffe that we should have asked him, Coop? Because you always you always have something. <laughs> so, so you kind of first of all, you kind of talk about the ambassador program, which Al, I don't know, I didn't know if I had a chance to talk to this. I remember when you launched that, it was I was doubting if it was ever going to work because I've seen so many of these ambassador programs work, or not work, right? And yours. Has just proved me wrong. You guys, you guys made it an integral part of your business model, and I think this really ties to your business strategy that you launched at the beginning of last year when you wrote this, when your company wrote an open letter to consumers, and it was a strategy that was not only put on paper but it was executed. Talk a little about what that's why you kind of went with that open letter with this strategy, and how do you you've progressed with it so far? Well. <clears throat> yeah, I, I strongly believe that we have two jobs, maybe three jobs. The first job is to support the brick and mortars out there because they're the backbone of this, uh, of this industry. And without them, we would not have an industry. Um, number two, the integrity of doing what you say you're going to do is really important to us. You put you you write an open letter. You put yourself, you know, 
you create a situation where you better deliver because you've opened your mouth. Number one. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. You know. So, so that number two, it is our job um, as manufacturers to bring more people into the industry. You know, via you know the women's program that a man is putting together. Okay. Um, um, you know, discussing and and debunking some of the health risks of cigars, which in my opinion, doesn't really exist. Um, you know, and so, you know, a lot of people say, you know, a lot of manufacturers, and it's, a, it's obviously hurts you to some degree because, you know, you give up some reasonable volume dealing with, you know, with the, um, with the companies that are, uh, that catalog people, um, but you can see, um, and traveling like I just did all over the country and realizing how these discount people, these Amazons of the cigar industry, um, hurt the retailer and retailers calling us and asking to do business with us because we said what we were going to do. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a gutsy move to, to call it as we see it, but Abel understand that because he calls them as he sees them, and we and we, we, we feel the same way. So um, that's why we did it, um, and uh, and we tried to we tried desperately for a long period of time to figure out a way that we could work with these people without hurting the bricks and mortar, and they have their philosophy and they have their their corporate plan uh and and you know what it's it was in it was you know it, we didn't believe in what they were doing okay and so we, we said okay we'll put ourselves on the line and uh and we'll call it as we see it which we did and uh you know what i i don't know what more to say the the brick and mortar people are all families like we are. It's just like Abe's businesses. It's like all you guys, you know, you've got, you know, you're, you know, we want to feed our family and we don't, we don't want you to steal from us. So, so we basically laid the gauntlet down and it's been good for us. I I just want to say, because Al, you're spot on. And this is, this is a philosophy mentality that a lot of consumers don't realize. And hopefully in time they will. Okay. You, you, you bypass dealing with a lot of these bigger companies, but in essence, what you're doing is you're building a stronger foundation, right? And and I and I try teaching this to, to to our people here is look when you build something, the foundation is the most important thing because it all rests on that. And if you build a faulty or a fake foundation or something that good, and eventually it all comes down because you didn't build it right. So building it the way you're building it. and obviously you know it because you understand it, it, is the best for the long term of the brand and the company. Um, What these people don't realize a lot of time is, look, these mega conglomerate catalog companies, they make millions, hundreds of millions. They're not doing that. When you're buying a, you know, they are the propagators of what I like to call inferior product. They make their livings buying really, really cheap stuff, rebranding it, making house brands and dealing to the masses because that's where that's where a lot of the money is. The masses who are looking for that $3 stick, no matter what it is, no matter what label, no matter what brand it is. 
You know, when I tell people that there are brands out there from some of these companies where the manufacturer doesn't even make the cigar. This is a common practice. It, they, they get a licensing fee, you know, and the catalog company will go out and have the cigar made, slap the manufacturer's name on it as if it was made by them or they had anything to do with them, and they get paid a licensing fee. And this is a common practice. So me as a consumer, I like to spend my money with companies that will recontribute to me as, as a consumer. And, and, you know, that's what companies like yours, ours, when you spend money with smoking, we like to reinvest it back into consumer experiences and make things fun and better for our patrons, just like you guys are doing. And, and long term for me, that's the best foundation. You know, that's the best way to build your company because we're the ones that are willing to take our profits and not just keep figuring out a way of how to make more money how to buy something cheaper and sell it for more. We're going to keep reinvesting it and building it into our consumer base. You know, you spent $400,000 to figure out how do I connect with my consumer? I mean, there, there's a, a testament to that. And the way you do it is the hardest way because it takes the most amount of work. It's easier to spend a couple million dollars a year in advertising and make ads, you know, Building a ambassador program, like you said, if you have 10,000 people, all that means is you got to work harder to stay interactive and connected with these people and make sure that it becomes a functional. The idea is one thing, but the execution is a whole other monstrosity. So, you know, kudos to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You know, I just, I just don't want to be smoking in the middle of winter on, in my backyard. You know, I want to be smoking at a lounge. <laughs> You know where I've where I have friends and acquaintances and a great time and, and interchange like we did today. You know that that's what it's about. It's not you know the sticks great, but the relationships are greater. And the it's always you, it's yeah. always what it's about. We just had a perfect story. We had a cabana poolside. I got it for my parents. We were having cocktails. My wife goes to the bathroom. She comes back and she's like, "Oh, I saw a woman smoking a cigar out there." I'm going to go give her a cigar. I'm like, yeah, I said, you know what? Invite her back. Tell her to come back to the cabana. So she comes back, and she comes back with her boss. And I guess they were there for the TPE, right? So she has an outfit. She's been, She's a woman. Built the company on her own. She worked for a company that went defunct 25 years ago. She basically took it over. The woman ends up being Iraqi. Right. So she's Middle Eastern and my parents are Middle Eastern. That's where our culture. So and then all of a sudden, the, we just spent the afternoon together smoking cigars, talking. Oddly enough, they didn't know who I was, which was kind of cool, you know, and um, we just spent the afternoon smoking and drinking and enjoying poolside, sharing stories. And this is what this is the lifestyle of the community that I've always loved about. We didn't know these two people saw her smoking a cigar, invited her back to Cabana, and we made friends. We exchanged cards. If I'm ever up her way, I'm going to stop by and visit. I mean, and everybody comes to Florida at one point or another, whether you're going to Miami to go to the DR or Honduras or whatever. So, you know, we, we made friends out of it. So that that's that's my favorite part about the cigar community. Yeah. You know, last night I had dinner with the daughter of a, of a cigar store owner that I met in, in Tampa. And... Um, and he said, my daughter lives in Dallas. You know, you need to call her. You know, I'll, I'll tell her you're going to call her. You need to have dinner with her. And um, I'm thinking to myself, 
If you knew me, you wouldn't ask me to have dinner with your daughter. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> but, but she was absolutely gorgeous, delightful, outstanding artist. And I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed the whole evening. Um, that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that happens that, you know, you, you know, uh, you just, I made a, obviously made a friend of this guy like me enough to introduce me to his, to his daughter. Right. My son showed up and this girl is very attractive and very, and very bright and very delightful. Mike usually stops by my table and spends three minutes. He was there for 45 minutes. You know, <laughs> so obviously he was impressed also, but you know, those are the things that, you know, that happen to all of us every day that, that you cherish because of the relationship, because of this stick in your hand. Absolutely. All right. It's that time. Is this the last week? This is it. This is number one. This is to find out. We've had now it was, this a series been going on now for weeks where Alex and Coop have been naming their top 10 boxers of all time. And this is now time to find out who is number one in Tale of the Tape. Okay, here we go. Uh, time to round out our greatest fighter of all time, pound for pound list. Coming in at number one on my list, Mike Tyson. Just kidding. It's Sugar Ray Robinson. Sugar Ray Robinson is the reason that pound for, for pound list even exists. He's the standard by which all other fighters are measured, great fighters. Um, he's a guy that could do it all. He could brawl, he could box. Sugar Ray Robinson can knock you out going backwards. I mean, when the people asked God to create a fighter, he created Sugar Ray Robinson. Literally poetry in motion. There's no question. If you look at any list by any expert out there, Sugar Ray Robinson is almost always on top. Go ahead, Coop. Uh, we didn't even have to exchange. No, we didn't even. This. We, didn't, we knew what it was from the beginning. We, we actually had our top three correct. Sugar Ray Robinson, hands down. Um, the guy just... Uh, Welterweight champion, middleweight champion, you, you mentioned personified the whole thing uh, of the definition of pound by pound. I think that it was him who the standard was set with that. Uh, fought some epic fights, too. I mean, he really fought some. He was in some wars. A lot of those come from behind victories, uh, split decisions, which you don't see a lot of guys do. And he beat the number two pound for pound boxer, which was Henry Armstrong as well. So, I mean, right. a lot of people would make the argument for Henry would is good. But, I mean, you look at Sugar Ray Robinson. Coop, you still there? Did I lose you? And there, there you are. Yep, I'm in. There he is. Coop, Coop, one of the best in the industry. Now we just got to work on getting him one of the best internet connections in the industry. What's wrong with it? Is there anything wrong with it? I want to wait. I want to give give myself a little credit, a little credit here. On March 29th, I texted Coop, and I I knew our top three was going to be the same, but I, I, I picked his top four. I picked his yeah. top four and I nailed it. I nailed his top four on March 29th. He told wow. me not to tell him, and he told yeah, me not to tell him either. Yeah. Um, Paul, nailed, can you pull up that list one more time? Do you have a do you have a list with the number one listed, or no one made a graphic? Okay. No, I, I gave. I just I gave. I figured Sugar Ray Robinson being number one deserved his own graphic standalone. There you go. There's that list. Wow. You got to Muhammad Ali put boxing on the map. You know, I mean, I never knew anything about boxing, but when I was a kid, I followed 
Muhammad Ali just because he was so colorful. And he made it a, a, a sport that um, a lot of people enjoyed because of his banter. He, you know, he was a marketing genius, in my opinion. Yeah, well, to me, Muhammad Ali brought especially heavyweight boxing back to the ultimate spotlight. But if you go back to like the 30s and 40s and, and even the 20s in boxing, the, the heavyweight champ of the world was bigger than any athlete or celebrity in the world. That was the the yeah. ultimate celebrity. And yeah, Muhammad Ali definitely brought that back to the spotlight where, you know, that's the thing that kids want. You know, you didn't want to grow up and be a, a, a middle linebacker. You wanted to grow up and be the heavyweight champ of the world for sure. Yeah. Now, do you two want to announce what your season two of Tale of the Tape is going to be? No, I think we should wait till next week. Okay. Now, is it starting next week, or are you guys going to take a week off? No, we're going to take a we'll, we'll announce what we're doing next week. Okay. And yeah, uh, we're, right. yeah, that's what we decided. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. That'll be interesting to see uh, what season two of Tale of the Tape will bring. Uh, we'll announce that next week. And now, in traditional closing fashion, it's time to see this week. Who belongs in a cigar insane asylum? Welcome to the cigar asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. All right, everybody. I uh, was not here for our KMA meeting this week, obviously. I just got into town late, very late last night, so I hope this is a good story because the one that you picked last week was not an insane asylum. That guy yeah, should Yeah, I was rooting for the guy. Yeah, he should have been given a medal. <laughs> so let's see who so belongs. Listen, yeah. I, need to, I need to just apologize for this one because it is, I, it's definitely an insane asylum, but it is uh, pretty raunchy. So uh, I, we have Mr. McAuliffe here. I feel like we're, be, we're being very friendly, just... Just everyone prepare yourselves for the grossness that we're Why, why do I feel like I should have read this in advance? All right. <laughs> All right. This week's inductee might want to rethink telling people about her secret skincare routine. 31-year-old Las Vegas resident. I could have looked her up if you told me. I could have got an interview. <laughs> Brittany LaBeouf has gone viral with her new facial skincare routine. She claims... That leaves her skin silky smooth and vibrant. Doesn't cocoa butter do that? Um, I, I would assume. What's the secret ingredient, you ask? Well, here's a hint. Brittany can only get it, uh, Paul, once a month. <laughs> yep, you guessed it right. It's her menstrual cycle <laughs> blood. Yep. She uses a menstrual cup to collect the blood and then immediately uses her fingers or a paintbrush to smear it onto her face. She'll let it sit there for 15 minutes and then wash it off. Britley claims that not only does it make her facial complexion feel silky smooth, but she has a deepened energetic connection with her cycle. Yeah, I have no word. <laughs> do we have a picture of her? I hope not. I do have a, I do have a picture of her. Oh, my God. Oh yeah, my God. put it up. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And, and and this is what goes viral. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Is she really 104 years old? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, she doesn't look that vibrant and youthful. Wow. Uh, Unbelievable. 
That was oh. the Star Insane Asylum of this week. Oh, yes, Neil Buff, you definitely belong in one. Once again, we hope uh, every we thank everyone for joining us and spending two hours of your Saturday morning with us. We hope we've entertained you, maybe taught you a little about something, and at the very least, made you smile. Al, thank you so much for your first time appearance here on uh, KMA Talk Radio. I look forward yes. to having you again and continuing to see where our cigar journeys take us, sir. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I, 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 this is a wonderful, wonderful two hours. And, and, and Dan was, you had Dan on your side because he was so worried that I would show up late. <laughs> I, have not, I want you to understand, I, I've never missed a meeting in my life. But Dan, I had three wake up calls from him this morning. I had to keep, I had to keep getting out of the shower to answer the phone. So, you know, I'm so, I'm delighted to be here, guys. And anytime, you know, I, I'd love to spend more time with you guys. Thank you, sir. And we will do it again. Coop, thank as you, always, thank you for your insight. Now, Alex, before we go, because, you know, did you have a question about Coop? You had a question you wanted to ask him. You forgot? His his vaccine thing, yeah. When is oh. it not? When is it not an opportune time for a fully vaccinated person? When should a fully vaccinated person be wearing a mask, Coop? Besides, in the garage, it's a personal decision. Um, and here's the thing: when you spend a week in a hospital, like I did, not knowing if you're going to get out from an infectious disease, you look at things a little differently. And if if this is just going to keep me a tiny bit safer. Um, to avoid going through what I went through again, I'm going to do it. So it's, it's a common sense thing. It's a personal decision. I don't advocate mask enforcements coming down from the government or anything like that. Personal decision. Do what you're comfortable with that. Well, that's I where agree. I totally agree with you. It is a I personal agree. decision. Yep. Personal yeah, decision. So I'm a little more conservative on it. That's all. And a, a little reminder, I, I have a, a $20 bill I need to get. Oh, I got to get you a dollar. Oh, did you get, you, did you get, oh, PCA doesn't count. Did you get your five bucks? No, 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 no it, hasn't, it, hasn't it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. yet. I'm going to wait till the PCA officially happens to get my $5. Yeah. But Thor, Quentin okay. Thor and Alex, you both owe me a signed I bill. I owe you a buck. Make sure I get that. I wish I could tell you who's going to be our guest next week, but as always, Paul was lallygagging and <laughs> Not doing his job, so he's we will probably not. Grow some balls, Paul. Yeah, Grow some diapers. balls. Grow some balls, Paul. Unbelievable. But once again, <laughs> week, everybody. Uh, Paul, Have a great weekend. Enjoy it, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep it lit.